0: a little positive uh-huh. yeah. greetings fellow joymongers. welcome to another episode of joyfully you life with dr Katrina clark in today's episode i am positively thrilled to feature another of my family members you heard from kevin bruno on an earlier episode and today we're going to be speaking with his younger brother anthony bruno and one of my absolute favorite cousins. So Anthony, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Katrina, Michelle.
0: (laughs) All right. Careful putting my whole government name out there like that. (laughs) Okay, doc. So for a little context, I think I mentioned this. So we have a joke in my family that I'm Katrina on the East Coast and Michelle in Texas. Growing up, I went by my middle name of Michelle. So whenever I go home, That's what everybody calls me, but they indulge me when I'm doing my professional thing and doing things out here at home, home now, which is the D.C. area, and allow me to go by my first name. They actually allow it. So
1: how are you doing, Pose? I'm doing well. Doing well. Staying busy.
0: Yeah, I see. I see. I want to get into some of what I've seen you doing on television. You're like an actual superstar now. I've seen you on two pretty major television programs. But one of the things that I've talked to Kevin about and that I've shared in a couple of episodes of the podcast is the significance of family for us. And I shared, I think, in the very first episode how we grew up more like siblings, yeah, rather than cousins. and we're sort of clumped together in age. and so it was me, you and Sue and our little group. and you know, we would be gracious and let Lynn and Jocelyn hang in with us, but <laughs> For the most part, it was the three of us. So one thing that we talked, Kevin and I talked about was Grandpa. So just share a little bit, I guess, of your perspective on on Gramps.
1: Gramps, there's no other man like him. He was one of a kind and he was a kind and gracious man who taught us how to be kind and gracious and faithful.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just in our nature, in our blood to be kind and gracious and, and faithful people and men of God he was a deacon and a, and a a Masonic, uh, Mason. So, uh, you know, some of those same traits are in some of us. It was, he was just a great guy to be around. He all, you never, I never saw him mad. He always has some wise, something wise to tell you about life. My favorite thing is he would always tell me to go slow because one fast move can cost you the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So, so I take it easy now. I don't, for a while I was going fast, moving fast and, And I had to think about what grandpa would say. Take it easy, go slow, because one fast move can cost you for the rest of your life. So this is a great guy. You know, I can't, I don't have anything bad to say about him, even even from my mom, you know, from the input from my mom telling me about how he was. And and he was the same way all his life. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah.
0: One thing that I think is interesting is I agree with you that he always had these wonderful little nuggets of wisdom for us. And it was interesting to me to know that he spoke to the boys different than he spoke to the girls. And that would just be so appropriate for him. And I, I think the thing that I have really come to appreciate, and I think this was really underscored when I was talking to Kevin is, you know, he was a man who didn't say, do as I say, he was about doing as I do. And he was just such a wonderful example of, black male excellence. And I think that that's so important to highlight because there's a narrative among some in the country that, you know, so many negative stereotypes about what it means to be a black man in America. But I mean, just to exactly quote you, there wasn't a bad word you could say about him. He was just excellent in everything that he did and in every way. And I'm just so grateful to have had that kind of male influence in my life.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's exemplary of, of him, of how we are as men. His it, lineage, Uncle Sammy. Yeah. Married for 40 years. I've been married 28 years. You know, just that dedication to family. That no matter what, you know, you, you commit to your family, and you do whatever you got to do to keep your family, you know. So it was just what he was. And we just tried to emulate him. and live like he lived. You know, it, it's 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 not easy.
0: No, it's not. Nothing good is easy. Nothing good comes easy. We've had a little bit of a conversation about that. I don't necessarily subscribe to that Uh. philosophy, but we'll (laughs) save that for another time. Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) It might be good for a little while, but
0: it won't last. I don't believe that either. I don't believe that either. But we, we digress. We digress. Yeah, yeah we're going to say that for another one. Right. One of the things that we did, so I don't know if you remember this, but I actually launched the podcast on Aunt Ruth's birthday. Not on purpose, I didn't know your mom actually told me, so it was like, Wow, how fitting is that? Wow, yeah. So, I thought one nice thing for us to be able to do, since you know her birthday would be coming up soon, is just to say a little bit about Felicia Sue, our cousin who transitioned much earlier than we would have preferred her to transition. She had lupus, yeah, and so died in her mid thirties from complications associated with lupus. And I think, you know, our family has been pretty fortunate, but we've had some tragedies. And I think that that one definitely ranks up there among the top in terms of, you know, Sue, Sue leaving us. And she was such a beautiful light. And, you know, Christmas just hasn't been the same without her because she was like our, our Christmas elf with the Christmas cookies and, I think about her all the time, and I often miss her a lot. I'm grateful that I can smile more than feel sad when I think about her. But I do wonder, like, what it would be like if she were still here and we were able to still, you know, be connected and spend time and space together.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to give you some of her political aspirations that she has. You know, she used to help Aunt Eunice with. The uh, campaigning of the Democratic Party. Right. She would coordinate the rides. Go get rides, share, share rides for uh, elderly riders, get the elders to the elders to the polls. And she was also our game person for the family union. She was a girl who you know gathered our games and, and, and coordinated the games for the family union. So
0: yeah,
1: I think about Sue all the time. She's truly missed. Yeah. And and you. Know, or mom, you know, both of them missed because they were so inspirational in the community. They were, they worked,
0: they worked. Right. Yeah. They were definite advocates and allies for real. So that was yeah. very active. I appreciate you highlighting that aspect of their, their service. Cause I think that was really important. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause we need, we need them today.
0: Yeah. And I'm grateful, you know, there was a quote and I think I was sharing this with mom, you know, we are the ancestors, right? So we had, you remember at our last family reunion, we had the quote, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I am because they were. Right. I saw something maybe like three or four months ago and I shared it with mom. I'm like, mom, we are the ancestors. So govern yourselves accordingly, right? And- <laughs>
1: Well, you you can claim
0: that. I'm not claiming that shit.
1: No, <laughs> I'm not an ancestor yet. I'm still showing homage to my ancestors. I'm not an ancestor
0: yet. You show homage until the day you transition, but I think it is important that, at some point to think about the legacy you want to leave. And, you know, you can't wait until the 11th hour to be thinking about that. You, you know, as we mature, we should be thinking, okay, what would I like my legacy to be? Assuming I have the legacy of shaping and influencing it.
1: Right. Well, I'm trying to leave a legacy. I'm trying to leave a legacy by representing our, our Western heritage and our history in America, you know, our influence is everywhere as far as black people. Our influence is everywhere in everything that is that is America. We are America.
0: Yeah.
1: America was built on our backs, built off our knowledge and our wisdom, and our, our history hasn't been accurately taught or portrayed.
0: It's a wonderful segue, and I love it because one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was the Black Cowboy, the history and legacy of the Black Cowboy. You're actually a trail boss, and I want you to talk a little bit about what that actually means, and your dad was a trail boss of the same organization. So, you know, we talk about heritage and legacy and lineage, so... Talk to us a little bit about the significance of the Black cowboy in American history and culture.
1: Well, during that 30-year span of after the Civil War, the African-American soldiers and some of the guys who were actually freed slaves heard about the cattle in Texas, that they needed, they needed men to move cattle out of Texas. And they brought their skills from West Africa on how to get cattle out of the woods. So they went, with some, went to some of the ranchers. And they were trying to get the cattle, but they didn't know how to get them. So they used the black guys. The black guys went in there, the Africans went in there, the slaves went in there, and ex slaves rather, went in there and and made a bunch of noise, got buckets and pans and and made a bunch of noise and pushed all the cattle out of the woods, pushed the cougars and the deer and everything out of the woods until they opened. So that's why they started rounding up the cattle. And as they saw that they knew what they were doing, they started rounding up cattle. And they got their skills, some of their skills, they learned those from the Spanish. Who are here in Texas to learn how to rope, you know, using a rope and the lasso, because in Africa they work cattle off work cattle on their feet off with rock sticks, dogs, noises and whistles and sticks and you know, those types of things. But then they they put the horse and the rope with it and made the American cowboy what we know today, which is the American cowboy.
0: Is this true, Anthony? I heard that the term cowboy was actually a
1: slave name.
0: Yeah, for the enslaved people, right? So the, the enslaved people were, the men were often called boys.
1: Right. Let me break it down for you. The word boy stands for, is an acronym for Black-owned youth. Uh-huh. So that's where boy comes from. When they would have them on an the auction block, they would have a house, B-O-Y, Black-owned youth, or house or field Black-owned youth. So they uh, the acronym Black-owned youth is boy. Mm. That's how the name boy came about. They were cowboys. The boys wanted to go work the cows. They went to go work the horses. They, you know, go do whatever they, whatever their job was, they were that job plus a black owned youth, male or female.
0: Interesting.
1: So, uh the black owned youth is boy. They would ha- go get that cowboy, you know, go get that, go in that field boy, you know. So, they were field boys, cowboys, house boys, whatever. So, you couldn't call a white wrangler at the time a cowboy that was the name they were called as they're identifying their labor force, whatever their labor was. Okay. So that's how that that came about. You couldn't call a a white guy a boy, a cowboy, because it was an insult to them to be be called a boy. Until the Western, during the Western era, of after the Civil War, and they started becoming polarized, and they were getting acclamations for their abilities. And they were getting acclamations for their abilities to do what they did. So then, after they became... Glamorized because they were, you know, showing that we, were, we always did the best that we could do, even in slavery. We would always do our best. So our, our representation was over the top. And it was like all the things that we were doing was like fascinating to people. They claimed they wanted to be called cowboys, then after all the accolades had come about. Right. Then Hollywood started making westerns and they were using the, the word cowboy because of the Stories that they were getting stories, and a lot of these stories are from black cowboys, like the Lone Ranger. That's based off of a black man, so it was just how how our how our history hasn't been properly documented or kept.
0: Yeah, or shared, right? Right, or shared. So I know that one of the things that you do periodically is, in your cowboy duties, that is, is you go on these trail rides, and I've seen video; they're actually wagons and horses. It literally looks like something out of a movie. Yeah. What is the purpose of a trail ride?
1: The trail ride is to give accolades to the trails that came before us and represent our traveling from the, our great migrations. And uh, there's the we represent the Trail of Tears when they moved the Indians from Georgia to Oklahoma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We represent our pilgrimage from slavery to freedom. We were moving from from the South to the North as free people. And we will also represent the cattle drives, the cattle trails. Those are trail rides as well. Those are trail drives. And some of the trails that we we followed on were some of the trails that were set up by other people who already had gone before us.
0: They're about preserving the history.
1: They're about preserving the history and showing homage to those who, who sacrificed and to keep us in touch with our history, to keep us in tune what where, where we came from, so you don't you don't lose where you came from, so you will know where you're going, you know, because you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're gonna go. Yeah, you can't maintain that that drive to keep going forward if you haven't been through or or experienced what your ancestors been through, or, or even heard about what your ancestors have gone through. I've even had people come on my ride, and I rode, they have them riding a wagon, and tell them about, you know, you complain about your air condition out, but your families came and rode in this wagon like this with everything they're owned in this wagon, in a wagon like this. And they didn't have anything to complain about. They were just trying to survive. And we complain about not having air conditions in the creature comforts of life. But until you experience that and go on, that, on a trail ride and have that spiritual connection, because you, when you go out there on the trail, you actually feel the presence of your ancestors. I, I, I do. I, it's a spiritual journey for me every time I go because I, I'm in tune with who my family is, and the struggles that we've gone through, because we stay close to our family, because our family is so close, and we, we, we go to our family unions and we experience what our people have gone through, and we, when we still own our family property, then I actually feel the presence of our ancestors as we ride down the trail every year. And I've been doing it for 30-something years.
0: Wow.
1: And every year, I feel, I feel it every time. It's a spiritual journey. And I advise anybody to go on just one time. And, you know, there's a lot of partying, a lot of, you know, you you do a lot of things, present things to represent the history. Because when they got to a city, you know, they would celebrate by cooking and feasting when they set up a city. And we try to do the same thing. We try to emulate all those things. We do it five days in a row. Each city we conquer, we celebrate when we get there. And a lot of people think it's just about the celebration. But it's more so about the journey than the celebration.
0: Mm -hmm. It's more about the journey than the destination, right?
1: Right, right. It's more about the journey than the destination.
0: Okay, so you're a trail boss. So tell us what a trail boss is and how one comes to be a trail boss.
1: (laughs) Well, you're either designated by your experience or voted in by your experience.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, let me tell you a story about this guy named George W. Bush. And not the George W. Bush you're thinking of. This George W. Bush was born in 1834. He was born... To a family who was here on in, as dentist, indentured servants. And he was at, at a family of fur traders. So they would come and tell these stories about all the fur trading and all the travels that they did on, on the East Coast. And he was curious about that. So when he got old enough, he joined the military and went to the war. And that, when he came back home, he came back home and he worked for the Union Bay Company. And when he worked for this company, he traveled and, and learned how to negotiate with the Native Americans, and, and he learned how to trap and all these things. And he was in Missouri, and in Missouri, he found this land that was rich, rich land. So he came home after the war and after all his travels and stuff, and he was talking about he wanted to go back there. He wanted to go back there, and he was telling his, family, his community about these stories, about where he had been and, and how rich the land was. He wanted it would be a great place to farm. So one day he got us enough money after he was 52 years old. He got enough money to travel and he told him where he was going. So seven families followed him out there. But because he was mulatto, he couldn't buy land there because they had laws that would try to keep slavery out of that area. And being a mulatto person was one of the laws that helped them keep slavery out of their area. So he went across the bay and ended up on the Canadian border and he bought land there. And as he bought, when he bought that land, he ended up negotiating a treaty with Canada and America to cross at his property. That's where the Canadian border and American border is right now, where they cross over. So he was instrumental in selling the agreements with America and Canada so they wouldn't go to war, so they could cross at his land. So that, that's just a story about one of the first trail bosses. And he was trail boss because of the stories he told and the experiences that he had in life. And he was a trustworthy man who was able to be able to lead these people across the country where he had been already. So we represent the trail bosses of today. All we do is go to a spot where we're going to start our ride off, pick those spots and pick spots that are convenient for us that are 10 mile treks, 10 or 15, 20 mile treks between stops and we pick another campsite and we, we organize the campsites and organize the entertainment and organize the, the whole feature of the ride as far as Boston right now. So it's a challenge and it's it's a task and it takes more than one person to do it. So you gotta have a team of people to kind of help you coordinate all that stuff.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. So I mentioned earlier that you've got a little bit of celebrity here. You were on an episode of Braxton Family Values, right?
1: I've been on Braxton Family Values, I've been on Fet Life on Animal Planet, I've been in a movie called uh, the Kings of the Evening. As far as used to my horses and my mules and my wagons and all those things that's tied to Western heritage. And I've also been on a Netflix series out that's right out now called High on the Hog.
0: Yeah, I saw you in that episode four, High on the Hog. That's a Netflix series that talks about the significance of food in African American heritage and culture. Right. And it was funny because I just happened upon the show. And I mentioned it to Mom and Lynn, and they were like, oh, Anthony's on episode four. I'm like, man, that dude is everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, it's just by grace of God, because of, of my love and passion for our history and our heritage. And that, and that's all of it. So I'm no superstar. I'm no super actor. Mm-hmm. I'm just a realist.
0: Yeah, this. you're very authentic. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I represent our heritage to the fullest.
0: Yes, absolutely. So how do you get tagged? Have to do these these things. How do they find you?
1: I really don't know. I did a documentary once. Is
0: that the one that aired in Germany?
1: No. Well, I I didn't even mention those.
0: The internationals.
1: (laughs) I've done two for Sweden and Germany, but I've done I did one for a girl's thesis for college, and it was on YouTube. It's called "The Black Cowboys: The Forgotten Man of the West." And I think they found the first time I was I was found was found because of that documentary. Okay. That's how they find me from that documentary
0: from on the uh YouTube video. Okay. So have you seen the Idris Elba movie Concrete Cowboy?
1: Yes, I have seen
0: that. So the idea in that movie, which I found just fascinating. I mean, it was a really good movie, is that we have these black cowboys who in the city? In the city,
1: in these urban areas like Philadelphia and... Well, I'm an urban cowboy. I'm not really an urban cowboy. Urban Cowboy is a cowboy who lives in the city and dress like a cowboy who doesn't do anything else but represent us by our clothes. You know, there's six different cowboys. There's the urban cowboy, the poetry cowboy, the artistic cowboy, the rodeo cowboy, the uh, trail ride cowboy, and the ranch cowboy. So those all are different cowboys that are represented in our culture. So these new urban cowboys or cowboys like me who rodeoed, I've taught people how to rope and ride,
0: including your daughter,
1: including my daughter. She was barrel racing for years and, and was a flag bearer on in our association and drove wagons. I just do it to whatever I can do to keep the culture alive and feed it to anybody. I'll do it right, and I do it without any pay. I do it because I want us to keep our because I want us to know that that this is our culture as well. It's not just their culture. It's our culture.
0: Right.
1: It's our history. So and I've got guys that I've trained on training horses and learning how to rope and ride that are professional horse trainers right now that they're doing it for a living. That's all they do.
0: Wow. So I like this idea of talking about history and legacy. So we've got a holiday coming up soon, Juneteenth, and that's all about emancipation of the enslaved people in Texas who got work Two years later. Three years later, and there's, you know, some conversation about why the news was so delayed, and, you know, the messenger got killed, and, you know, so we, we won't actually know the facts of the delay, but...
1: Well, I can tell you what I think. <laughs> I think they wanted to get the props out. They wanted to get the props out, they wanted to work us one more free year.
0: That's the cynic in here, yes. Okay, well, we don't know. We weren't there, <laughs> but... The fact of the matter is that emancipation was delayed for two years. So given that, there was a celebration that started in Texas to celebrate Independence Day for the enslaved people. And so that day is June 19th, and it has been celebrated in Texas forever. You know, as a Texan, I definitely grew up celebrating Juneteenth. But it's actually caught on well beyond Texas. In fact, I'm having a little social on the 19th here at my house and going to use that opportunity to share some stories and some personal and then some just, you know, about the event and the history of it. But I find it really fascinating that, you know, you're so passionate about maintaining these links to history and culture and doing what you can to ensure that history is accurately told and shared so that there's more of an understanding, more of an appreciation, and I think just more of a connection to a rich, rich history that's not always been told or always been shared or been knowable. So, what do you have going on for Juneteenth this year?
1: Well, we usually have a trail ride for Juneteenth, but because of COVID, we kind of uh, didn't schedule anything this year. So, If anybody else has anything going on, we're probably going to go and partake in theirs because we didn't want to take the risk because I've got a lot of older people that ride with me and I wanted to protect them. Mm -hmm. So the youngsters, can, you know, they can go, we can go somewhere else. And, you know, I was even invited to go to Florida and I don't want to pull my horses all the way to Florida just for a parade or trail ride to celebrate Juneteenth. If I was going to go, I was going to go without my horses and just go and partake. Right. But, you know, we, we usually have a ride on Juneteenth in our community to, to celebrate. And that's our 4th of July.
0: Right. Are you guys doing anything at Triangle 7?
1: No, not this year. Not this year. Maybe next year, but not this year.
0: Yeah, because of the pandemic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because of the pandemic. You know, and it takes a, couple, a little while to schedule it to be able to get good participation. Right. So we didn't market anything this year for it because of COVID.
0: Understood. Understood. All right, Cuzzo. So I always ask my guests this question, what's bringing you joy these days? My grandson is bringing me
1: joy. I have a six-month-old grandson. I light up his light, and he lights up mine. He lives in Atlanta, and I have to watch him on Zoom or whatever that other thing is.
0: dragging into the 21st century, kicking and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that other thing is.
1: (laughs) Whatever that other thing is, when we watch him on on the phone or whatever, and every time he hears my voice, he smiles, and I smile, too. That's what's bringing me joy right now, my grandson.
0: He's a cutie pie. That's a good one.
1: Oh yeah, he's a handsome young man and smart and fast, and he's growing like a weed, like a bad weed.
0: A good weed, a good weed.
1: (laughs) I gotta get him in Texas to get him on a horse. I'm gonna. I've already scheduled to buy him a Shetland pony, and all that. That's already on the agenda. So he's gonna be horseback too. (laughs) So
0: <laughs> I had no doubt he would. Does Tanya still have her trophies from her barrel riding?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, she does. Yeah. We were kind of cleaning the house because of the freeze that we got down here. And we were looking at some of that stuff and trying to decide if we're going to, you know, give them away or whatever, you know, or, or just hold on to them for mementos.
0: Yeah. So I appreciate you you being so generous with your time today. I know it's been a little bit hard for us to. Nail down the schedule, and you're actually at work now, so I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, I, I thought we weren't going to get this done.
0: No, I knew we would get it done, because I affirm divine order and all things. Well, I hope I was. Would- oh, no, you were fabulous, but I do want to invite you to share, you know, something that you'd like to share with us about the importance of history and connection and heritage.
1: Well, first thing I would like for everybody to do is go in and research your own family history. Find out where you come from and who you are, because that's what drove me to do what I do, because I know where I come from. I know my family. I know both sides of my family. And and my mother's side of the family is so rich and so cultivating in their history, and our family history, that I had no, no other thing to do but this. There was nothing else I was going to be able to do but this. This is ordained, because we have such a rich, rich family history as far as educated people and, and owning our own and establishing our own and having our own, then that that's what we need to get back to. We need to get back to owning our own and having our own and doing our own.
0: Yeah, that's really great. Well, on that positive, encouraging note, thank you so much listeners for sharing a bit of your time with us. I hope you've been inspired by something you've heard or amused by something you've heard. Hopefully something in the episode brought a smile to your face. Until next week, I want to encourage you as always to be joyfully you, full of joy, fully you.